Good morning and welcome back to another episode of the Humans of Agriculture podcast. This time I'm recording this intro from the airport. I've ducked into a little corner and hopefully there's no announcements that interrupt us. This episode was recorded on Wadarung Country and I'm chatting with a fellow I met back in 2019. Bella Fabas is the founder and CEO of 40 Technologies. He'll do a much better job of explaining this than what I will. A little bit about Bella. He grew up and was born in Yugoslavia, moved to Australia to the town of Denny, where his parents immigrated during a bit of unrest back home in Yugoslavia. So when I was introduced to Bella, I was told about his background in IT and software and how he had started a small company in and serving agriculture. And I think what we discussed is looking at how someone can come from a whole different background and experience, but then apply their skills into agriculture. And I think what's so refreshing and cool is just how Bella has seen that opportunity and absolutely grabbed it. And he's building a team and business, which is utilizing technology to make farms safer, more efficient, and really just better. And so in this chat, God, we cover a bit of country from his childhood and how those experiences have shaped him to the role and understanding, for me, if I can understand it, more a little bit about data science and artificial intelligence and I guess where that side of the world's moving. But we also just talked about more of the emotive side of how Bella's really enjoyed getting to understand and work with farmers and has really thrown himself in the deep end. And towards the end of the conversation, we chat a little bit more about just the business side, people management, the importance of taking a break and where he's got it right and also where some of the areas that he's still working on it is. I'm going to stop talking. Let's get into it. Well, I was only thinking back, Bella, to last time that we actually caught up and it was the day that I was riding around Melbourne on an electric scooter from meeting to meeting. And it must have been January, wasn't it? It was an absolute cracking day. Sun was shining down. It was pretty well just Melbourne year round, 25 degrees, sunny, etc. Yeah, look, I reckon it was. I think it must have been Jan. And then we've, I don't know where you are today, but here in Collingwood, it's this gorgeous autumn day where it's sunny, but it's windy and it's cold. So, yeah. No, it's one of those ones where out of a window, it looks all right. And as soon as you step out into the elements, you better be bracing for it. <laughs> Absolutely. How lucky we are to be working in agriculture indoors today, mate. <laughs> Tell me about it. I know. I remember some time up on feedlots where you had people getting up at 4.30 or whatever it is, the pen riders, and I'd get up with them at, well, maybe not with them, maybe we'd get up at quarter past five, and it's still minus four outside. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Nah. Absolutely crazy. I remember my, my first job out of school, we were out fencing. It was the middle of winter, Harden, like in New South Wales. I swear to God, it is the coldest place in Australia. It isn't, but it gets this breeze off the must be off the snowy mountains because i don't know where else it comes from honestly freezing we were lighting fires every 50 or 100 meters so we could stand next to them and warm up we even had kfc which would heat up in the car engine (laughs) i love it i love it (laughs) how times change but mate what's been happening with you we're it's scary to say we're halfway nearly halfway through 2023 what's been keeping you busy um couple of things. You know, as you're aware, 40 does a couple of other things than ag as well. So we've got some fairly sizable opportunities that we're chasing at the moment in, in other sectors. But inside ag, there's, I'm finally starting to see some fairly serious uptake of the Feedlink stuff that we do for stock feeds. And I'm just kind of growing the team at the moment. So, so it's the age old battle of trying to find good talent and then trying to make sure that they get paid how much they need to get paid in order to make sure that they're happy um, and, you know, having the right conditions in the businesses for them. Honestly, all good problems to have. Can't complain about any of that. Literally, <laughs> oh, I might have to flesh out a couple of these because I might be able to ask for a bit of advice. But you've also spent a bit of time traveling the world as well. Is that with the 4.0 ag side of the business or what else do you guys do? Yeah, so that, that's actually been 
inland defence. So, so at the core of our technology is whatever vertical we work in, we're basically all about connecting machines and people. Right. So sensors, building systems, batching systems, whatever it is, what we do is we bring that into people's lives in a plug and play way. That's effectively what we do. So that's actually got some enormous applications in the defense sector. And recently for us, the we started prospecting into defense about a year ago, 18 months ago. And then we kind of just had this enormous surge of interest. And so a lot of the travel that I've done has been around that. So a lot of time in Korea, a little bit of time in the US and a little bit across Australia. How good is that? Normally I'll ask our guests and I will do it today for you. We ask about the very first influence of agriculture or the earliest memory around agriculture. Do you have one? And when was it? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually don't know if you know this, but I'm from Yugoslavia originally back in the day. And I'm actually from a town that was a farming town, right? So it was like 8,000 people on a good day. And it basically had one enormous factory where everybody worked. And it had a whole bunch of corn and sunflower farms around it. So, so for me, kind of the early, earliest memories that I've got is just clambering up and down over equipment and cutting yourself on rusty pieces of metal and all that kind of fun stuff that you do as a kid when you don't realize what's going on. That's the earliest. And then I went into software development and corporate enterprise IT and probably forgot about it until it all resurfaced in, I think it would have been about 2017. So when did you come to Australia? 91. Yeah, wow. So when Yugoslavia started falling into an all-out civil war, my, my folks did the brave and right thing and popped my sister and I in an airplane and came to the other side of the world. <laughs> what was the experience like? Insane. So, so we went from a particularly cold autumn, so it was like November, it was just right before winter. It was minus six or seven at night and two or three degrees during the day. And then we went to Deniloquin and landed on the 22nd of November. And it was like 44 degrees on that day. It was unseasonably warm. I didn't speak a word of the language. We just had my great auntie whose farm we stayed on for the first three months of being in this country. And yeah, it was shell shock, I'll tell you that. I mean, culture shock. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And so Denny was home. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So we basically came out here on a, my, my dad is an electrical engineer and Australia at the time needed those. So we came out here on a working migrant visa type scenario. And uh, as it turns out, there's a lot of work for electrical engineers in rural Australia. So we stayed up there, I think it was about five or six months before dad landed a job down here in Melbourne. So it's where I started learning English. And yeah, I've got some very fond memories actually running around on that farm up there. Yeah, I bet. Do you miss or do you get back, I'll say home to Yugoslavia? Would you say home's back there or who's home here? No, no, home's here, man. So I think of myself as an Australian with Hungarian heritage, right, is the best way to put it. I actually haven't gone back. So my folks have been back a few times. I've not had the interest. That sounds really crazy, but it just hasn't been a priority for me. I've now got two boys of my own. They're kind of around the age that I was when we came out here. So I think we'll, we'll probably pop them on an airplane and go back in the next few years. It'll be interesting. In November as well, so they can go from one extreme back into the other and go. <laughs> Yeah, I'll pick the hottest, stinking hottest day, forecast forever, and then we'll fly them back into winter. It'll be great. <laughs> anyway, you guys have no idea. It's much harder going from winter to summer. It is, yeah. So going through high school in Melbourne, as I guess I've got to know you over the years, I got introduced to you as a bit of a, here's Bella, he's an absolute whiz when it comes to technology, telcos, being able to connect things. 
what were the interests as you're leaving high school and I guess what were the pathways? So it was all about tech, right? I mean, I always knew I was going to be either one of two things. One is a pilot or the other one was something to do with computers. So, I mean, from day dot, I was interested in how machines work, all the usual stuff. You tear things apart and you can't put it back together and things like that. And then my folks were very supportive and they got me computers when they were starting to be really widespread at the start of the internet age and just loved it. I love the fact that you could spend a few hours and create something really brand new that wasn't there a few hours ago and it did something. So I ended up going down the path of getting a degree in computing, specializing in networks primarily. So all about how machines talk to each other. As it turns out, we've come full circle. Yeah. And then I ended up going down the path of software development and from there into consulting. And so I'm interested because now obviously we've there's so much chat. We'll just say chat GPT seems to be on the front of everyone, but this growth of the machine of artificial intelligence. Is it really fundamentally, is it that different to what you were studying in your degrees? And like, how has it come? And maybe what are the similarities and differences? It is different, right? So, so my career took me away from pure software development into more into data. Right? So these days, if I had to have a title out there, I'd probably be like a data scientist out in the industry because that's where I spent 15 years doing that. Basically just going, all right, so how do you take what looks like just a bucket load of data that doesn't make any sense and turn it into something real, right? So AI is a very interesting field and nobody knows where it's going yet, right? What we do know is there are certain things that machine learning and AI algorithms are significantly better at than humans. And people are trying to figure out how to monetize that and how to use that ethically, right? What I find particularly fascinating, and especially from an ethical perspective, is what does that mean for jobs? What does that mean for purpose and meaning and when work is so important in our lives? It's an interesting space to follow at the moment. But sorry, back to your question, rambling on this topic. It is a fundamentally different type of intelligence than ours. That's the interesting part about it. So ChatGPT, it looks really clever, but underneath it's actually really dumb, but it won't be that for too much longer. Right? It's quite fascinating. Tell me, like, what is it that makes it dumb? Well, basically all it is, it's just an enormous amount of computing resources doing the same pattern matching and re repetitive sequencing over and over again. So data science, I'll call it that, is, it has tipped over into artificial intelligence. But the fundamental techniques of how it does it are all still the same stuff we did 20 years ago when I started my career, or 30 years ago, or 40 years ago when they were writing about this stuff. Now, that is changing, but at this point, AI is still basically just an awful lot of computing resource being applied to one problem at a time, and it looks like it's a lot smarter because it can do things a lot quicker. There you go. Interesting. At what stage did agriculture come back into your life? So I did 15 years of consulting, right? enterprise IT data stuff, and then I just got sick of it and realized that back office IT just doesn't float my boat anymore. And then I, I went, okay, well, there's this thing out there called the operational world. Let's go have a look at it. Such a consulting term too. That you... <laughs> How good is it? How good is it? It's a, all right, the real world where actual things happen. And to be honest, that's where it evolved to really quickly is I kind of, I realized that I was right in my initial assessment of enterprise IT and all respect to the people who work in it, but it ain't for me because it's so far removed from the real world. So I did a couple of consulting gigs in logistics, so just cold chain logistics, 3PL, that kind of thing, and then got the opportunity 
to do some work in essentially telemetry IoT systems on feedlots up in Queensland. Just fell in love with it. So this was back in 2017, I think it would have been. Hmm. Yeah, it would have been 17. Yeah, so it was basically a company that did automation of feed mills. And from there, they got the opportunity to do a much broader set of automation across one of the largest feedlots in Australia. And I came along for the ride as a, essentially the guy who manages the data and helps them work with it. So it's fascinating. It is. It is. What do you remember? Like, we'll say intensive ag, but going into, into the feedlot, your first experiences there. Yeah. So this sounds trite, but it felt really comfortable. I found it so strange because we're driving out like seven or eight hours west of Brisbane, going through to Woomera, and then you do another four hours afterwards. And, and I was just like, okay, this is interesting. But then we landed there and started talking with people. And I just went, oh, yeah, this is cool. Feels like home. This is nice. So that's the first thing. It was super comfortable. The other thing was it, it was nice to be able to wake up and walk out and see a sunrise and kind of listen to the birds and then get on with the job. That's probably the biggest things that stick out for me. Yeah. From there, was there more opportunities to come into agriculture or did it have to become quite a conscious decision that you thought actually skill sets I've got, this agriculture industry seems like it's got a bit of potential, let's focus on it. Very much latter, yeah. So so at this point, I started the business about a year beforehand and the vision was always to go, look, I know how to do things with data. I know every industry is going to need to do more things with data in the in the real world. So let's see what we can do kind of cross verticals. So we uh, first customers were in waste management and then this opportunity came to go into agriculture and I just went, oh no, God, this is it. This is awesome. And so doubled down. And I think where you and I met was in 2019 at- Global Table. Uh, global, t- global Table. Yeah, that's what it was. Or just prior, I can't remember exactly. But, you know, because to me, yeah, it was a conscious decision to chase down the application of tech into the food supply chain. And I think because I found cattle feedlots initially, and then since then it's gone into dairies and poultry and stuff, I found that to be an area that is so important because it just produces so much food that we rely on, but it also is completely not understood, I think, by average schmoes like me from the city. So I I went, no, I want to do something here and I want to build some solutions for this space. Can you elaborate on, on that a little bit more? So obviously the global table experience, but as you're kind of saying there, it's just misunderstood, but there's opportunities. What do you mean by that? And I guess, how has your understanding grown, as you, as you said, people from Melbourne? So it's misunderstood because I think we all comfortably go to the butcher or we go to Woolies or IGA or whatever, and you buy a packet and it's got meat in there and you go, oh yeah, cool. So that comes from the butcher. Somebody's chopped that thing up and presented it nicely. Now, so I've had the opportunity to do some hunting, I love fishing. So I know that's not reality. It's one little part of reality. And so I found in working on the feedlots and understanding how you take an animal from backgrounding, carving, feedlot, all the way through to processing, out through the supply chain into where you buy it to eat it, I kind of went, I didn't know any of this. I mean, I knew it happened in some magic way, but I didn't know the details of it. And then when you smash that together with the people that I actually worked with on these feedlots and went, these are really hardworking guys and girls. Nobody knows about, nobody understands what their industry is about. And that just didn't seem kind of right to me. And then in terms of how's my understanding evolved, I had a lot of the same misconceptions that I think everybody has when you start out. You go into a feedlot and you got 30,000 head of cattle 
in 50 by 50 meter pens and they get fed a certain ration and all that stuff. And you go, it doesn't seem very natural. But then you go, okay, but hang on, they're looked after in terms of health. They are fed in a way that is absolutely fine for them and it keeps them healthy. And I remember I had this one moment when I was actually driving into one of the feedlots and there was about an hour out of it, there was a few straight headed cattle by the road that must have escaped at some point and jumped the fences and off they go. And they looked absolutely emaciated. And then I remember driving past and going, okay, and then landed in the feedlot and there's all of these cattle that are just plump yeah. <laughs> and healthy looking. So, so I just, it, it turned a lot of those initial misconceptions upside down in my head, I think. And it's so funny because, so I went to, well, we did the filming episode at the feedlot last year. God, it was a while ago now, back in the day. <laughs> no. And because I'd spent, I'll say, enough time around cattle on farm and then cattle at sow yards and whatnot. And I was just expecting that it was going to be a little bit like when you get cattle into the sow yards or the yards on farm and there's a bit of mooing and whatnot. And I was thinking, oh, as you say, with 30 odd thousand head plus kind of there, you think, oh, it's going to be quite a noisy place. I couldn't get over how quiet it was when I got there. Yeah, absolutely. The, I mean, the, the biggest noise I remember is cockatoos. Yeah. <laughs> and if there was water nearby, it would have been a lot of them. <laughs> and galahs everywhere. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is something like I've, I guess I've grappled with for a while and I'd be interested in your take on it. But obviously humans of agriculture, we're trying to shift this stigma of traditional ideas in agriculture. But do you say, if someone asks you, do you say you're part of the agriculture industry? Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully none of my other customers hear this, but that's the core part for me, right? I mean, to me, why did I leave Enterprise IT? I left it because I want to make a difference in the real world. And I think ag needs it. And I can see the actual benefit of the stuff we do there. So it just gives me that warm and fuzzy. So as far as I'm concerned, yeah, I am. I'm a part of the agriculture industry in a potentially different way than others have done before. Or Absolutely. And was it something which took you like a little bit of time to be like, oh no, you know what, actually I am really part of this because I guess it isn't fitting into that traditional bucket. Did it take time? Yeah, I think it did. I think it did. I, I think the first couple of visits to a feedlot were just overwhelming in terms of, oh my God, we've got a job to do and 12, 14 hour days for weeks at a time. It was good fun. But then I went away and did a couple of other things and then we went back to it. And I remember it clicked on a visit up to a feed mill up near Echuca. And again, it was that sense of coming home. Like we arrived at 5 a.m. or something after a four-hour drive. It was bloody brutal because we had to be there in time to help them commission a couple of things on their way bridge. And remember sun coming up and this line of trucks going off into the distance waiting for the place to open. And I just stood there and went, yeah, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> At that point, I immediately went, yeah, you know what? We're going to focus here and this is for me. So I think that's probably the point where I'd say I felt like I was part of it. That's so cool. I'd love to take a bit of a conduit and talk about this piece of building a team as well. It's something which I guess we're going through a little bit here at Humans of Agriculture as well. But for you, it was one thing for you to learn the skills, you had developed these skills, but then learn how you could apply it within agriculture. How have you gone building your team and what kind of people have you got within your team today? So a core part of what we do is software, right? And it's going to sound dismissive, but Software guys and girls are software guys and girls, right? It doesn't matter what industry they build software into. What I've found to be super, super useful is we've got a couple of electrical engineers on our team. So Steph, one of them is a young lady. And because she's an electrical engineer, she deals with the real world. 
And it was a completely seamless fit for her to start going out onto feed mills and poultry farms and what have you to go and have a conversation with people. So the way I've kind of approached it is I've gone, all right, well, we have the tech side of the team. And that is a very beautiful specialist area into its own. And then what we have is we have the people who understand ag. And then we've got a few of them that sit slightly across the two. And that seems to be working fairly well for us. Like I've just engaged a fellow on a, for now, I hope to change this, but on a part-time basis, who's a nutritionist. And he's helping us out and he's from the industry right? for 30-something years as a nutritionist for dairy and poultry. I think that's the best way to do it is you kind of find people who know the industry well, but can adapt into what we actually do. What have you learned about yourself since you started this venture of starting your own business and hiring people? It's interesting. I need a lot less sleep than I thought I did. (laughs) That would probably be the biggest thing. Except for on a Wednesday evening in early May where May or may not have fallen asleep on the couch a bit early. (laughs) Yeah, well, I can honestly say I'm only human. Yeah. It happens sometimes. No, look, I think I have to say it's reaffirmed that decision to kind of follow the gut and get out of the thing that didn't feel right and go do something that does. And the other one is oh, genuinely there's a, an enormous sense of and humility that I don't think I had before. Because when you start a business and you hire people and then you have customers, all of a sudden you're the recipient of an enormous amount of trust from every angle. Your staff trust you that you're going to keep building a business and there'll be pay and there's things to do and training plans and all that fun stuff. And your customers trust that when they sign a three-year contract with you, that you're going to be there in three years and you're going to look after them when the gray areas of real life hit. So it's been quite, it's been a profound experience to be that person that everybody trusts and then having to then actually live up to it. It's been nice. I love it. Have you found it overwhelming at all? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that it took me like five years to figure out is you need to listen to advice specifically around taking a break. Everybody, everyone, mentors and friends who have done it, they're like, just remember every year, just make sure you take a couple of weeks off. And I've gone, yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't happen. And then after five-ish years of the unrelenting pressure, I kind of just went, no, I think they're right. And I've kind of just baked into my schedule now to just take a breather every once in a while and switch off the phone and get on with real life. I'm going to ask another question on that. When was the last time that you kind of sat back, looked at the business and had that, I'll say a little epiphany, but that moment where you look back at how far it's come and gone, huh? Yeah, it's actually been too long. I reckon it was a couple of years ago now, to be frank, and that's far too long. Like I, I've just hired a GM of Ops who's going to join us on the 1st of June. And earlier this morning, I was booking a place for us and one other person to go away two days and go, right, what's this business about? What's the journey? Where do we take it? Yada, yada, yada. So that's that's coming up in uh, mid-June again. Oh, that'd be so exciting. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. And have, what about you? Have you done that? <laughs> no, not at all. I caught myself the other day. I remember I, like when I was, in, I was in Sydney doing this as a side hustle, every time we had a win, won a contract or whatnot, there was one mate, I'd be like, Munro, we better go grab a beer. And we'd go and grab a beer, <laughs> normally just one. <laughs> And we'd just be like, yes, like, how good is this? And then, yeah, the other day we, we won a cup. We had a really good week. I think we won two or three. And I sent to the team, because now I think that's the challenge where we're a little bit remote. And I said, what are we going to do? Because it's just occurred to me, we've had our best week kind of ever, and we haven't even celebrated. We haven't even stopped. Wow. It literally is just 
become part of this beast. And so we're still trying to work out how as a remote team, what is a little, it can't be a ring of the bell or something, but what's something that we can do, mm-hmm. to, I guess, celebrate the little wins, but actually then take some time and go, let's look at where we've come from. So it is something I need to work on. Yeah. I mean, ringing the bell is a tricky one, but you know, there's there's ways to do that digitally. But I don't think you can beat getting together once a year for the Christmas party or twice a year or something. Just get together and go, okay, guys, we're not going to talk about problems. We're going to do this, right? We're going to talk about how awesome it's been and why and what we've learned and what have you, says the guy who hasn't done it in two years. So, you know. I think we need to make it back here, Bella. <laughs> don't listen to me for advice, right? Okay, in the next six months, we've got to both make a pact. We're going to check in with each other and make sure that we've done it for our teams. Not even for us, it's for the team. Sold. <laughs> done. Now, I've got a few other questions. I was thinking, I've got these, I've got some conversation cards. I was going to grab them and we could both answer something from them. Yeah, yeah, I'm in your hands. Okay, the one I pulled out is interesting, actually. Do you think your younger self would be proud and look up to who you are now? Geez, hard-hitting questions. <laughs> so do you want a fluffy answer or do you want the real answer? The real answer. I think so. But, you know, as you do in real life, I'm kind of going through one of those moments where it's not entirely clear. Like sometimes things get difficult and sometimes you need to spend the time to try and figure it out and to take the time to remember that you have done some pretty cool things. Mistakes are natural. I'm kind of in the middle of that right now. But I think having said that, yeah, look, on balance, I think so. Because ultimately, I've lived a life, I lived my life the way I think is right. And I don't think you can ask much more than that. So I think so. And I feel like within your answer there, part of it kind of goes back to what we were just talking about, about that reflection piece. You touched on it there. Yeah. And I think my problem is I don't take the time to reflect. Hence, it's kind of like this ongoing background noise that you're like, oh, I'm not happy about something and it's yada, yada, yada. But then you actually just have to just take a moment to think it through. And then you go, oh, no, actually, it's fine. Yeah. There you go. I'll answer it too. I'm pretty young though, so I can't really. I was about, just about to kick it back to you. Yeah, hit me. And I'll ask, do you want the fluffy answer or the real one? <laughs> Give me the real one. Come on. I've bared my yeah. soul to you, my friend. Your turn. Yeah. Well, like I was trying to think, was there like probably beyond being like a professional sports player or something that like younger Ollie wanted to be? But I feel like right now, what we're doing at Humans of Agriculture and what I'm doing, I think, yeah, it is probably something which is pretty cool to be able to look at and go... Oh, if you, there is a way that you can come up with a dream and if you just work bloody hard at it and whatnot, that you can actually mm. do that full time. So, yeah, I reckon. Yeah. And for what it's worth, I think you should be. I'm going to tell you, mate, from where we met, I've been, as I told you when we caught up, I've been watching your progress and I think it's fantastic. Like, one, the rate of it, but also the way you're going about it, it is credible and trustworthy and i think it's it's a beautiful thing so you should be proud of yourself oh thank you a lot of us winging it so (laughs) (laughs) well yeah it's called life (laughs) it's the beauty of this podcast is each week i get a chance to go all right this is something i'm struggling with or trying to work out who's someone i can lean on to try and work this out (laughs) now a question i ask everyone you get the chance to go and chat to your 10 students and say to them why they should consider a career in agriculture If I'm a year 10 student in that audience, what are you going to say to me? You get to do super important work with really interesting and fun people. That's it. (laughs) And through through the combination of those two, you're going to find an enormous amount of fulfillment and opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. That's, That's what I'd say. 
for young people, it's like, and, and it's probably the same as anything, that perspectives of what you think something's like as you kind of go through those first few roles and those first few years of jobs and whatnot, then you actually, mm. you start to work towards that, don't you? And understanding more about, well, what are the things that actually drive you and the things that you do want to be spending your time because you spend enough time at work. <laughs> yeah, look, absolutely right. I was talking to my wife about this the other day that really on an average week, I see her less than I see my colleagues. And that's not a value judgment. That's just a simple statement of fact. So you may as well approach that from a place of positivity and willingness to learn and enjoy because that's just going to be your life. I think the only other thing I'd add to, to the year 10 students would be to say, don't get too focused on the thing you're doing right now. Always just listen to what's going on around you in the space you're in. Because things come up that might just be worth pursuing. Yeah. And ag is full of that. Like us went on to a feedlot to help somebody out with sensing some stuff in turkeys' nests and dams. And hey, here we are still in ag, but doing something fairly different. And that, that was just being open to it. Awesome. Bella, unless there's anything that you want to chat about or any questions that I guess have been unanswered, is there anything else you want to add? No, I think the only thing is keep doing what you're doing because I think tech. All aspects of tech have an enormous future in ag, as we've already known, because they're one of the earliest adopters of bloody technology, like automated combine harvesters and all of that kind of stuff. Whatever can be done to get more people from the STEM aspect into ag is awesome. And when I think right back at you with what you're doing and the team you're building and, and the work you guys are doing, you're bringing this whole other area of technology and engineers and people from all sorts of backgrounds that can come in. And I also think what's really cool, as you kind of touched on, is you've got the traditional sides, the nutritionists and whatnot of agriculture actually coming back into your business as well now, which a few years ago, those opportunities didn't really exist. So back at you. You keep doing what you're doing. Keep your head down. But take a break. <laughs> Consider it done. It's coming. It has to happen. Mate, as always, thank you for having a chat and I look forward to catching up with you next time we face-to-face. Sounds like a plan, Ollie. Thanks a lot. We would love your feedback on this episode. If you've got any thoughts, questions, recommendations, hit us up, podcasts, or hello at humansofagriculture.com. We're always open for feedback. And if you've got any guest suggestions, please hit us up because really, we're uh, so fascinated by this world of agriculture. We're exploring the areas and parts that we're really curious about, but we're sure there's parts that you want to know as well. So hit us up. See ya.